Amen. Hey guys, what's up? How's it going? You guys ready to finish out the book of Ruth? You pumped? All right. Um, does anyone wish we just had like really healthy options for late night cereal? Like two people? Jeremy, I don't believe you, but okay. Um, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is the best. We've been over this before, but I don't understand the rest of you. Um, so we're in, we're in the book of Ruth. If you haven't been here in the last few weeks, I just want to kind of do a quick kind of overview, catch us up where we've been in the book of Ruth. At the beginning, we were introduced to Elimelech and his family, his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, Malhan and Kilion, and they move, they leave Judah because of a famine. And their sons, when they get to Moab, that's where they go. That's where they leave because of the famine. They get to Moab and they marry Moabite wives. And so we kind of actually get this picture of a man leaving, even going away from God when the going gets tough, to try and find comfort and stability away from God, some other way. And yet, what ends up happening is this man and his two sons, so all the men in the family get that very thing they were fearful of, like death itself. They all die. And so it's Naomi left with her two daughter-in-laws. They're all widows. And Naomi decides, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem where I'm from. And it's actually only, only Ruth that ends up going the way, all the way back with her. It's only Ruth that decides to be this immigrant. And most of the time, like immigrants, they leave a place in hope of a better life. And that's not really why, why Ruth leaves, why she goes with Naomi. She actually knows it could be far worse for her back in Judah as, as Naomi is going there. Like she is, she's a Moabite. She is someone who is an outcast. She does not belong in Judah. But she goes because she's given her life to God. She's given her life to Naomi's God, and she says, wherever you go, I will go. Like, where you die, I will die. I'm going with you. I'm going to take care of you. And so she goes this long journey with this woman who is super empty, super depressed, and without really any hope. She goes, and she is going to care for this woman who actually just wants to go by the name of Mara because she's bitter. And so they get into the town of Bethlehem and the whole town, we're told, is stirred because they know that they've shown up. And what ends up happening is, is Ruth goes out to glean. She goes out to, to actually provide for, for Naomi. She goes out to just go into the field and get whatever she can. And she comes across this man named Boaz and it's actually a really, really great thing that she just so happens to go into the field that belongs to Boaz because Boaz, like Boaz gives her the hookup. Boaz takes care of her. Boaz makes sure that she's protected. She's this Moabite and here she is being protected by someone who absolutely has like, does not have to do all these things for her. And more than that, when, when Ruth goes home that night to tell Naomi where she gleaned, she actually is told, this is amazing. Like, 
this man that you happen to come across today, he's one of our redeemers. This is, this is something that brings hope to Naomi because what she's realized then is that this man, Boaz, he could do a whole lot more than just feed them. He could legally do this process. He could become this kinsman redeemer. He could actually buy back the field that belonged to their family, that belonged to Elimelech, and he could take care of them. And so we, we heard from Andrew last week in chapter 3 about actually kind of Ruth going to Boaz and proposing because she not only wants this to happen, she wants, she wants Boaz to be the, the man who does what's called leveret marriage. She wants, she wants Boaz to actually marry her and take care of her and Naomi in this way where normally it would be for like a brother-in-law. Like if you, if you had a brother and you died and you were you left your wife, and she was without any children, and your name wasn't going to continue, maybe your brother-in-law would marry this woman so that your, your name would continue. Like your first son, they would actually name that son with your name. But right, both brothers died. Both of the children of Elimelech have died. So we pick up tonight going, what is going to happen? There's this proposal that's taken place on the threshing floor but we also know, if you were here last week, that there is someone who's a closer redeemer. There's somebody who actually gets first dibs. Boaz isn't the guy that has first dibs. And so open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. Go ahead and open to Ruth 4. Maybe if you've been around the last couple of weeks as we've been going through Ruth, you're kind of asking, like, is God really in this story? Like he's mentioned so few times as actively working and willing and doing things. Like it's, it's almost strange how little God is mentioned. Is he really in this story? What's going to happen? Like is, is someone else going to ruin this, this kind of love story that's starting to unfold? There's someone that's ahead of Boaz. And think about being Ruth in this moment as we enter this chapter, this final chapter. Like you're going... Is, is this all going to get ruined? Like, is me going and making my intentions clear with, with Boaz actually going to lead to me having to marry someone else? Could you imagine being in that spot? Let's look at what Boaz does. They stay the night together, and Boaz is going to go. Verse 1 says, now Boaz, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. He's going to wait. He's going to see where this kinsman redeemer is at, what he's going to do with this news that he could potentially be, he could choose to be this redeemer. Now, Boaz goes to the city gate, and this is kind of the place that like all of the men would pass through in the morning as they're going to work, as they're going to do whatever they do that day. I kind of think of it like Quickstar. Does anyone think like Quickstar maybe is kind of like that in our modern day where it's just like every working man just has to go to Quickstar to start the day, right? I mean, you just got to, I mean, get... I don't know, some gross like breakfast sandwich and you got to get your diesel in your truck. So quick, I mean, it's sort of like the city gate. Um, but here he is going, going to the quick star of their day. And look what happens. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So of course, he's at the quick star too. All right. Um, so Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 
10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So it's Boaz and this other guy who's first in line and 10 other dudes. They're about to work all this out. Verse 3 says, then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So again, they're both related to him, but this man, this redeemer, the closer one is, is actually even closer in relation. So I thought I would tell you, verse 4 says, Boaz says, I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. So we don't know exactly what the situation is with this land. Like, Naomi, she is, she's the one who is trying to, to get this land back. And perhaps when they left for Moab, they kind of like sold the rights to the land, or they were, they were in such financial kind of turmoil that they had, to, they had to do something to get some money during this famine. And no longer do they have the rights to use this land. So Boaz has the means to, to p- perhaps buy this contract out or, or whatever exactly is going on. But this, this is a moment that really matters for the future of these two women. What's he going to do? What does he say? He says, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the, de- the dead in his inheritance. So this is, this is kind of like the sleeve that's up Boaz's, or the card that's up Boaz's sleeve, the sleeve that's up his card, that makes no sense. Um, because what he's doing here is he's going, yeah, man, like you want this land, you want to you benefit from this financially, but really, God's heart is so much more than just for you to benefit and just be able to take care of these women financially. Like, God's heart would actually be for you to marry this Moabite, even though she's from the wrong people. It would be for you to continue to perpetuate the name of this, this guy who passed away. And so, what happens? Verse 6, the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So this is, this is the moment that Ruth and Boaz were hoping for. This other guy doesn't want to do it, perhaps because he's already divided some of his inheritance to his sons, like who knows exactly all the, the things that have taken place, but he also doesn't want to marry this woman from Moab. Who knows? Maybe he's married already. That would be kind of weird if you're like, hey, so while I was at the quick start today, I also married another woman. But think about this for a minute. Like, have you, have you noticed that in all of this so far, we have not been told what this man's name is? Like, he's just the other redeemer. What's the author trying to say? What, what's the author trying to communicate by not giving us his name? Because he never tells us. He never will tell us. What one, commentator, one commentator says about this is, the nearer redeemer has neither the motives or the character to rise to this occasion. And since he refused 
to restore the name of the dead to his inheritance, he himself has no name. It's kind of savage, right? Like he's saying, this man is actually so like just not like Boaz. He's not a worthy man like Boaz that he doesn't even deserve to have his name put in the Bible. Like what he's done is he's put his needs before these women's needs. He, he actually doesn't see any other way to go about it. He doesn't want to be inconvenienced. He's simply unwilling to reflect, to show the loving kindness of the God that he claims to follow. And again, who knows exactly all that's going on, but he is not willing to entertain this idea of incurring debt and taking on, caring for these women, providing for them. But Boaz, we know he already has shown that he has the type of character that you would want if you are in this place like these women are. And so this is what happens next. They're going to seal the deal. Verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malhan. And also, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malhan, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native, native place. You are witnesses this day. So he gives this speech, right? It's kind of like officially sealing the deal. And it, we're, to, we're kind of seeing here that even when this book was being written, this was already like not the custom anymore. This was when this happened, this is what they would do. They would take off their their sandal, it's kind of gross. Like they, they marked this deal by taking off this man's sandal. And what we see here is now Boaz has the opportunity to become the, the redeemer. He is going to be the one who not just takes care of them anymore by just sending Ruth home with some food. He is going to marry Ruth. The deal is done after a smelly exchange of a sandal. I mean, I don't really know if you want to do too many business deals where you have to get close to people's feet and shoes and smelly shoes, but um, then what happens is actually really interesting because the people pray. They pray for Boaz because Boaz is a man of God, and these people are people of faith. Verse 11 says, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Okay. So they're praying that, that Ruth would be this great wife for Boaz, this, this woman like the woman of the faith who bore many of the sons of Israel. And that Boaz, who's already like a well-esteemed man, this chapter one tells us like he's a, or sorry, chapter two tells us he's a worthy man. 
that he would be renowned, that he would be someone who is renowned, famous. So how will God answer these people's prayers? Is he going to answer them? Let's keep reading. I'm going to read through verse 17. It says, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. If you don't know what that is, I don't know how to help you. You might need to go have, ask your parents to have the talk with you. They might not have done that. Andrew said that last week was like the steamy hot chapter. It's actually here, okay? Um, And then it says, look, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Here is God working. The author is saying, look, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. And I'm going to stop there for a minute. I didn't really end like I was going to stop that. But... Okay, check this out. We just got like way farther down the road in kind of their lifespan. Like in one verse, probably 10 months go by where she is able to conceive. The Lord does that and she has a child. And then the women say this really just striking thing. They say that that Ruth is more to Naomi than seven sons. Like, literally, they're saying, like, this is like, you have the perfect family just in Ruth alone. Because think about it, in their day, in this kind of patriarchal society, right, having, having sons was very important. Like, if you were a man, you had the power. You had kind of just all of the, all of the things that, really seemed to matter in that culture. So if you had seven sons, you had a family. You had a family that had plenty of power and wealth. You had a family that, man, had like cheap child labor, probably free. You had a family that was a very, very strong family. And family was a big deal. So when they say that Naomi, or sorry, Ruth, was more to Naomi than seven sons, this is, I mean, this is like, doesn't even make sense for people in that day. But this is how kind and how loving and how sacrificial Ruth has been to Naomi. And Naomi, however old she is in her old days, she is refreshed, she's restored. This child brings her joy and God has done all of this. Like, God has literally brought this woman who wanted to be called someone just by the name of Mara, this woman who's bitter, so bitter at God, saying, God has just ruined my life. He's restored her joy. Maybe tonight you kind of feel like you're in that spot of just despair, that you're in this spot of 
just utter hopelessness, wondering where God is. And so what's, what's needed for like divine redemption? What's needed for a, a story to unfold like this from God? How do you get divine redemption? I think the first thing that we even see in Naomi's life is we need to let people see our brokenness. Like we can't pretend to be put together when we're really not. We can't pretend to be fine when we're depressed. We can't pretend to be strong when we're actually weak. Like God's people come to them, come to him when they're broken, when they're hurting. Like remember back to chapter one, Naomi's hurting, but she's going back to the only place she knows there are people who place their faith in Yahweh and trust in him. She's just going to get herself there. And all of what she was going through was real and painful. She was struggling with grief. She'd buried three people, her sons and her husband. And maybe tonight you feel like you need to go by a different name, that you need to go by some name like Mara, like you're in the depths of the in the depths of despair. But what I want you to see from this book is that what you really need first is a friend. You need a friend who's going to remind you of your true name in Christ, your true identity, a friend that's going to remind you of the fact that you are adopted and and accepted and loved and forgiven, that you're known and that you you have a new name. But what needs to happen first for that to be true of you is you need to come to Jesus. You need a Ruth to Naomi type of friendship. And so does the person sitting next to you. You can't be this type of friend to everyone. In fact, you can hardly be that type of friend to more than a few people. Like the type of just sacrificial life that Ruth lives after coming to faith in God for Naomi, you can hardly do for more than one person. You guys, what if Salt Company was actually, actually marked by deep, lifelong friendships like this? Where people showed tremendous devotion to one another, even in great hardships and even when it costs them. Because that's exactly what the gospel calls us to, you guys. Like, let me ask you this. Has the gospel freed you from living for yourself? Has it, has it freed you from living for yourself? Like, Boaz was, he was moved. Think about this. Boaz was moved to live for something bigger than himself when he sees these women in their just helpless estate. Was it because he like, believed in karma? No, it was because he, he actually trusted in God to be everything for him. All he needed was the Lord, and so did Ruth. All she needed was the Lord. She put no conditions on her obedience, no conditions on the sacrifices she made. In a way, both of them are redeemers. Like if you think about what transpires over these four chapters, they're both redeemers. Boaz redeems Ruth, who redeems Naomi. 
God uses all kinds of people, you guys. Don't forget that this story started with people who actually walked out on God, who went far from him and turned away completely to find a better life in hardship, to leave a famine. And as they come back to him, God provides. His generosity through Boaz, his graciousness, his kindness. He brings joy back to grieving women, and he brings a child through this interracial marriage. Like he brings this child through this marriage that no one would have seen coming and probably most men would never even consider doing. And this very marriage is used by God not just for their joy, but for the redemption of all of the peoples of the earth. You guys look at what it says next. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Obed, it says, was the great-grandfather of David, like King David. This redemption, this marriage between Boaz and Ruth includes them in the line of Israel's future king. But it's not just another king. Eventually it would be the king. Like Jesus, the son of David. How amazing is that? This interracial marriage is part of God's plan to redeem all the peoples of the earth, to bring salvation to you and to me. And what did it cost Boaz? It cost him, it, it led to him incurring debt. It led to him taking on something that, that costs him. He laid down something for the good of these women. And you guys, what God has done in Christ is that he has shared his Wealth. Jesus has laid down his life. He has laid down something very costly to himself for you to share in. Like the message of the book of Ruth isn't come trust in God and he's going to just give you all that you want and make your life great. The message of the book of Ruth is God is the true redeemer. There's three redeemers in this book, not just two, there's three. And what God wants to give to all those who trust in him is an even better inheritance than you could ever dream. It's a better inheritance than all of the land. He redeems us. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from, from death itself. He saves us from, from an eternity separated from him. Like, he is the capital R Redeemer. He's the one. He's the one working behind the scenes of this book all along. The author is just trying to get us to look back and see, wait a minute. It's almost as if God is so sovereign and in control of all of this that it appears as though it's just these random events unfolding until, look, look at this genealogy. Just another reason he wants to give for us to think and consider what God is doing. It's just showing us again that Obed, Father Jesse, who Father David, it says, now these are the generations of Perez. 
Perez fathered Herzon. Herzon fathered Aminadab. Ram, or sorry, Herzon fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Like if you flipped to the New Testament, you would see that this isn't something that's just been made up. This is God's story that he's been writing, that he has been on the move, coming to save a people for himself. He's made a covenant promise with with one man to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And this little story is a part of his bigger story. And so tonight, I'm asking you, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, to come and place your faith in Jesus and be in this bigger story. Belong to God's family. Belong to the only God. He's the redeemer. Like, let him redeem you tonight by the blood of Christ shed for you on the cross. It's yours to receive by faith. He's working all things, all things in this book and all things in the life of those who trust in him for his glory and for your good. He uses all kinds of people. There's not someone too far off. There's not someone from just a certain people group that he doesn't love. He wants all people everywhere to trust in him. Jesus has come and laid down his life that all the peoples of the earth would praise him. And friendship, friendship is the best way to take this gospel to people's hearts. You guys, friendship is what, what I think actually even just brought Ruth to put her faith in Yahweh. She was obviously just committed enough to Naomi, committed enough to Naomi that she was going to go all the way to Bethlehem with this grieving woman. She turned to Yahweh, and it meant laying her life down. Are you going to lay your life down for the one who laid his life down for you? That's what I want to leave you with as we close out this book. Are you going to lay your life down for the one who laid your life, his life down for you? Tonight, no conditions, nothing but Jesus himself as the Savior. Jesus himself becoming your Lord. Doing what he says because what he says is for your good, for your glory, for your joy. Let him redeem you. And so as the band comes back up, I don't know if you need to do business with God. I don't know if you need to, to pray and, and actually just come back to him, to, to allow him or allow someone else. Maybe you need to tell someone else that you've been, you've actually been wandering You've been straying from the fold. That you've thought maybe, maybe you believe that his future blessings in Christ are actually not better than what you've been giving yourself to.
would you just allow someone to remind you of the grace of God? Shown for you most clearly on the cross where Jesus gave his life for you. And of the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead. That he's the living redeemer who lives right now to intercede for you. Who lives to remind you of the fact that you are adopted and accepted. That you're loved and forgiven. That you have an inheritance with him that cannot be taken. Let's pray. God, thank you for this beautiful, beautiful book that you put in the Bible for us to know you, that you, um, that you use this marriage to be a part of the the greatest story, the greatest, um, the greatest news that anyone could ever possibly tell us that you would send your son for sinful people like us, that the friend of sinners, the one who died, would, would come and live a life completely perfect, completely without sin, for us God redeem us give us give us more of your your spirit redeem us and help us to look more like Christ our redeemer pray in his name amen